I will live in you and walk with you. So set yourselves apart. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. So this series has been about our relationship with God the Father, our identity as sons and daughters, and you know, he's our, our dad, our heavenly father, and, and we call him Abba. But, uh, you know, so, so really, I, I've taught about uh, our, the way we see him. I've taught uh, in the first week, we, we talked about how some of our experiences with parents, you know, maybe we need to, to forgive them and move on and open our hearts to our heavenly father. And then talked about how we can receive the spirit of adoption, you know, how, how important the Holy Spirit is in understanding who, who our Father is. And then last week I talked about, about God giving us good gifts. You know, dads like to give good gifts, and, and he's a father that gives us good gifts. And so today I want to show you a different, a different part of his, his character. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. So look, we're talking about identity here. He's our father. We're his sons and daughters. My son, do not despise the chastening, the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So I just want to talk to you about this passage in, in Hebrews 12, about, the, the, about God being a father who corrects us, who chastens us, and, and how to receive that. So I want you to write something down right at the very beginning before I get into all of these scriptures. So this is in your notes. Just fill in the blanks there. Correction is not rejection when the correction comes from our Father. Now, now that is an important thing to understand because I think if, if everybody could share their experiences in this room, we would all have a story, maybe from school, maybe when we were younger, maybe from a teacher or coach, somebody in authority where the, the kind of correction that they gave us did come across as rejection. Do you know what I'm talking about? That there have, I think that we have all experienced some unhealthy correction. And so I really felt like I needed to just say this right, right from the beginning, that when, when the correction is coming from our Heavenly Father, it is not rejection. In fact, Jesus paid for rejection on the cross. Jesus paid for us to never feel rejection from our Heavenly Father. And I'm going to show you that in the Word in just a minute. But I w kind of went back through, through some memories in school, you know, when I, when I wrote this, and I thought about how in junior high I had a specific coach for three years, a PE coach, who, uh, who he, he really did communicate rejection to me. You know, it was a, a tough three-year period. I actually, uh, I actually played, you know, I grew up in, in England, and in junior high, I played, played rugby. We all had to play, actually. It, it didn't matter what the weather was like. We were out there. I don't know if you're familiar with rugby, but it's a little bit like football, but you can't throw the ball forwards. You can only pass it backwards. And the ball's a little overinflated. But, um, and so I played, I played for, for the junior high team, and we were coming home from the game one day, and, and all the, the guys were all in the back of the van. Now, the school van at that time, this is early 80s. They weren't that safe. And so the coach, the coach actually drove the van in the front cab, and then all, all of us were in the back of the van. We were separated from him. So a bunch of 13, 14-year-old boys in the back of the van, basically without any supervision. 
you know, it wasn't a good idea at all. And, and actually, in the back of that van, we didn't even have proper seats. There were wooden benches. This is early 80s. Things weren't that safe, you know. I mean, I, we, could, we could talk a lot about how things were in late 70s, early 80s, and and they weren't as safe as they are now. So, so anyway, so we're on our way back from this game, and uh, a couple of boys took my cleats from me, and while we're driving down the road, they opened the back of the van and threw my cleats out, threw my shoes out the back. So, you know, obviously that, um, that wasn't a, a good situation, and I didn't know what to say. I, didn't, I don't think I even said anything to the coach. I might have, but, but I refused to play again. I refused to go with that team again, and it caused a, a rift between me and that coach that went on for three years. And, I, and he asked me to run track for him, and I said no. And you know, but but there were other incidents that happened in class, in P class, and it was just a bad situation for about about three years until finally I was out of there. But but when I think about rejection, correction being rejection, I think about that particular situation because it, it almost felt like there was retaliation going on for three years. You know what I'm talking about. I meant most of you have something like that. Now look, I'm not, I don't feel like a victim. I, I, I wasn't victimized in that school by, by, the, by the staff. In fact, one time we got in trouble on the bus. We rode a, a red double-decker bus to school every day, like you'd see in pictures. A red double-decker bus to school every day. And uh, all the kids who smoked sat on the top section. Seriously, yep, it was, again, it was late 70s, early 80s, and then and in the, in, on the bottom section, we, we, a bunch of us guys would sit in the back, and, and we got in trouble for shooting rubber bands at each other, and apparently one of them had gone in a different direction and, and hit a girl in the back of the head, so we all got called to the assistant principal's office, but I remember that incident. I remember how he, he chastened us to use a biblical words, but he, it was fair. He just said, don't do it again. If, you, if, you, if I see you again, there's going to be consequences. You know, so look, I don't, I don't feel like a victim in school, but, but I understand this issue. And, that's, and, I, and I really want to help you just discard that and, and hear correction from your Heavenly Father today. So here's where Jesus in Matthew 27 paid for rejection issues in us. It says, now as they came out, they found a man. So he, now they're taking Jesus to the cross. And he's not strong enough to carry the cross because he's already been beaten severely. So they found a man named, a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. So they make Simon carry his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that's to say place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him. They cursed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple. So here they're, they're mocking the things that he has taught on. That's what's happening right here. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down. 
from the cross. And likewise, the chief priests also mocking him with scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him, let God deliver him now if he'll have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want you to see this, that on the cross, that Jesus, he paid for our sin. He he, he took stripes on his body for our healing, but he paid for our rejection. Because on the cross at this moment, and I'll show it to you again in just a minute, he says, my God, my God, and he says, God, you have forsaken me. And you have to ask yourself the question, did, he really, did, did God the Father forsake Jesus, his son, at that moment? And the answer is yes. He did forsake him. He had to forsake him in order for us to receive everything that Jesus did on the cross for us. So when I, when I go to Hebrews 13 and I see God saying this, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, this is what God the Father says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you see that God the Father, that he, he did forsake Jesus, His Son, on the cross, but it was in order for us to qualify for this promise. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And there's a couple things I want you to write down about that. This is in your notes. When God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, He's saying two things. Leaving is physical. He's saying... My son, my daughter, I, I will physically never leave you. My presence will always be with you. My presence will always be with you. But he's also saying forsake, and forsaking is emotional. It's possible for us as humans to, to be with somebody physically, but to be distracted emotionally. Right? You can be in a different place. You can be distracted. A person can be in your presence and not emotionally in tune with you. But this is what God says to you, that, that he is a father who is always with you and always thinking about you, and his heart is always with you. It's amazing. I didn't know this when I was a young believer. I didn't understand this promise, that God was always thinking about me, that he always had my best interest in heart, that, he, that when he looks at me, he sees me as his favorite son, just like he looks at you and says, you are my favorite son, my favorite daughter. I'll never leave you. I'll never turn my heart away from you. What a great promise we have. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He'll never leave you. Romans 8.38, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no way that you could ever be separated 
as a born-again believer from your Heavenly Father. That's his promise to you. So I have a, this confession that we said a couple weeks ago, and I just wanted to say it together one last time. I think it's so important for us as a church to speak out loud the things that God is saying. I, I, I tell you this a lot, but, but your, your brain believes the things that it hears your voice saying. So you speak the word, read the word out loud to yourself. Let, let your mind hear the word in your voice. It's powerful. It gets down in your heart. It changes what you believe. So I want us to say this out loud together. And not after me, just say it with me. You ready? Here we go. We are sons and daughters of God. We are in the family to stay. We will not live in the spirit of slavery. We receive the spirit of adoption. And we call God Abba, Daddy. At Victory Church, we will act on what we know to be true. We will act like we are God's favorite sons and daughters. We will make decisions based on the fact that He is taking care of every need we have. We will put our faith in the Word of God and live in rest. People around us will be changed, overflowing from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And I put that, you know, such an important thing to speak out the truth about yourself, about your identity. So if I go back to Matthew 27, and I'll show you this verse again in verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Eli lama sabachthani. That is, now, this is very interesting to me. It's the only time that you see Jesus address God as my God, my God, instead of either father or daddy. It's a powerful moment to me because I realize that's the moment when God the Father turns his back on Jesus to allow him to pay the price for our sin. The moment that he allowed his son to pay the price for the rejection that I deserve to forsake Jesus when I should be the one that is forsaken. And when he calls out to God, he doesn't say, my father. He doesn't say, Abba. He says, my God. It's very impersonal. Listen, God wants a personal relationship. He wants you to call him father. He wants you to call him Abba, Daddy. He wants you to trust him like that. And this is a a heartbreaking moment between God the Father and God the Son, the first time and only time in the history of the universe that the Father and Son were separated. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their sin, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, 
to become sin on the cross for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what happened at that moment. At the moment when God the Father turns His back on His Son, that's when Jesus became sin for us. And God is a holy God. And He cannot be in close relationship with sin. And so Jesus paid for it. He paid for our sin. Every sin that we will ever commit was put on Jesus Christ on the cross at that moment. And that's why we can say God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Our sins are forgiven. Our relationship is restored. It cost Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected. Here's the rejection by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the payment for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. That's what happened on the cross. So when I go back, if you go back to Hebrews 12, when I, when I think about what God is saying to us in Hebrews 12 and talking to us the way a father talks to his children, I have to think about, God, you, you, correction is not rejection to you. When you correct me, you're helping me. Because I know what happened on the cross. I know that Jesus paid for the, the rejection. So God, speak to me as a son. Help me. Look, we, we have issues. We have issues. As Christians, we have issues. And we need our Heavenly Father to help us. And that's what I see in, in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight. Church, the weight that you're carrying, lay it aside, the sin that so easily ensnares us. God wants to speak to us about that. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. In other words, even, even though it was a shameful thing that happened to him, he said, I don't care about the shame, I'm going to do it anyway. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. So, before I get to verse 5, think about the context of what he's saying. He's saying, look, just lay, lay the weight aside, the, the sinful stuff that is so easy for us to get caught up in. And, and, and he's just beginning this whole passage with, look, I know that life is hard sometimes, but God wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. He says, you've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And then in verse 5, he says, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, my son do not despise the chastening, the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So we see here, it's part of his nature as a father to help us, to correct us, in order to help us do better. It says in verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you're without chastening, if you don't have any correction, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening, church, this is true, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there are three stages of healthy discipline in this passage in Hebrews 12. It's important for, for you and me as a son. You, you know we're always going to be sons and daughters of God. doesn't matter how old we are. We're his children. And so he speaks to us as a father. And, and here in Hebrews 12, there are three stages of healthy discipline. And it works as a parent too, if you're raising kids. But, but, it, but this is about our relationship with God. The first stage is what the New King James calls chastening. I know we don't use that word in, in everyday language, but it just means to encourage somebody to do the right thing. It's, it's educational. It's, it's the first stage where we tell somebody, look, don't do this. You know, th this, is, this is not right. We don't, we don't do that. It, it is telling our kids how, you know, how to behave. It's... It's the first part. It's encouragement, encouraging somebody to do the right thing, chastening of the Lord. My son, do not despise. When he is speaking to your heart and telling you, when he's chastening you, he says, don't despise it. The second stage is rebuke. It's a little stronger. A, a rebuke is a warning. A rebuke is, if you keep on with this, here's the consequences. Now, as parents, we, we all understand this, and we, I think a lot of us use the same language. You know, this, the rebuke is, if that doesn't stop, I'm going to pull the car over, right? That rebuke has been told for generations. That, that's the rebuke. The rebuke is a stern warning about consequences that are coming. My, my dad was, was very good at these three stages. I didn't know that they were in the Bible, uh, but he was good at this. The chastening was was educational, and, uh, and the rebuke was clear. You know, and, and then if I didn't heed the rebuke, then there's a third stage, and the third stage is what the New King James calls scourging. It's not a word that we use, and so I call it consequences. Son, there are some consequences coming. It's very clear, though. It's good for us as dads. Chastening? educational, encouragement to do the right thing, the rebuke. If you don't listen to that, the rebuke. Son, I told you not to do that. Here's what's happening if it happens again. And then the consequences at the end. That's healthy discipline. You know, I, I, think, I do think a lot about my dad in, in this message because, because he, he, he was very healthy in the way he disciplined. He, he would give the... By the way, I'm the middle of, of three kids. And so they... My brother and sister would probably tell you that I received a lot more discipline than they did, and that would be true, and, uh, and I know I deserved it, you know, but, um, but I think about that, he would, there would be the, the chastening, and then the rebuke, and then, 
you know, when I was younger, the, the paddling, he usually, dad used his belt, and um, that, that pretty much solved the problem. And, uh, but, but even when I was older, you know, when I was past the age of, of, of corporal punishment, I remember, you know, even like 19 or 20, being in college and just having a bad attitude, and dad trying to talk to me lightly about it. You know, just, hey, man, what, what is the deal? You got everything you could possibly need. I mean, you're told everything's taken care of. You know, sometimes when you're young, you, you, you just don't see things clearly. And I remember this one time when Dad was saying, you look, you've got everything. What, what, what do you have to be unhappy about? And then, you know, I didn't heed that, and so a rebuke came later and said, look, you, you know, Dad said, you're just not going to live here with that attitude, either straighten up or move out. Pretty tough rebuke. But I couldn't afford to move out, so I straightened up. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Is this, this, this is biblical discipline. Now, my mother, now look, I asked for permission to tell this story, okay? But my, my mother, her, her consequences were sometimes a little more spontaneous. <laughs> I remember one time we were redecorating a room, and I said something smart, and she, we were putting wallpaper on the wall. And uh, she was using this, this wallpaper brush. It was actually made of styrofoam, so... It's not that big a deal when you hear what she did. But I smarted off to her, and the next thing I know, she cracked me over the head with that brush, and it <laughs> broke in two. See, I'm telling you, that there was a little more spontaneity in my mother's discipline, you know. She loves that story, by the way, so I'm not getting myself in trouble. But listen, when we think about this, think about how a good father wants to help his kids, and that's who God is to you. And he want, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to all of us about things. Church, there's some healthy chastening going on in conversations with your Heavenly Father. It's not rejection. He wants to help us. I, I, to me, most of it is attitude and words. And, you know, that's most of it. It's just, look. Look at all the stuff I've done for you. Why do you feel this way? All the blessings that I've promised you. You just healthy chastening. And sometimes there's a rebuke. Sometimes there's, look, you know, you know better than this. And, and sometimes there's consequences. When I think about consequences, I don't, don't get mixed up about that. It's, God's consequences are not making people sick. Okay, that's, God's a healer. But he will sometimes tell you that you need to go and apologize to somebody that's painful that's what hebrews 12 says it's painful in the moment but it's going to bear fruit in your life right it's painful my parents would make me apologize to people it was painful i wish i hadn't done or said what i i said but but that's how god is with us so that's why I tell you, it's not rejection. It's a father who loves you. So just open your heart to listen to chastening. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, I like verse 12. So don't walk around with your hands hanging and attitude and head hanging down. Just strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. 
And so this last thing I want to show you is, write this down, when the correction comes from our Father in heaven, correction is affection. It is a display of his love. He loves us enough to correct us and talk to us and help us because we all have issues and we all need his wisdom and his help. I just want us to, to take a moment and let's just respond to the word. There's always a response to the word of God. So the response today is just to say, God, maybe I've been just too busy to even think about what you've been trying to say to me. It's possible. I think it's really possible in, in summer when we're going here and there. And I think it's possible to go through time and not be thinking about what is God trying to speak to me about? Have I picked up an attitude somewhere that doesn't glorify him? Have I picked up you know, a, a way of speaking that is hurtful to people? What, whatever it is, God, you, listen, why don't you just speak to me because I'm really ready. I'm ready. After hearing your word, I am so ready to hear your voice because I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. Let's do that. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. Father, thank you for your word. Oh God, that we would put our trust in a heavenly Father who loves us enough, who gives us gifts and provides for every need and speaks encouragement and when necessary, rebuke and correction not because of a bunch of rules, but because of your love for us to help us become more like Jesus. God, we open our hearts to you today. God, we do the most spiritual thing we could possibly do, which is just to open up our hearts and hear your voice and be ready to act on what we hear. Thank you for your love. Just with every head bowed, every head bowed, please, for just a minute. If you're here today, and you would say that you're not in a relationship with God, that you don't feel like things are right with him today, can I tell you that you can accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? You can walk right now in this moment. You can step into a brand new relationship with your Heavenly Father just by accepting what Jesus did on the cross and confessing him as Lord. So I want us to pray together out loud, church. Just pray this for anybody that needs to pray this right now. Just say after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, church.